The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome, welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a fantasy NBA dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Bauer, joined as always by my co-host, Travis Fuller. Hey, Rhett, how are we doing today? I'm excited for today's episode. I think we've got some really good content for today, so I'm really excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. And also joining us for episode 10, we thought it would be special to bring on a guest. We've got the assistant managing editor for Hoopball Fantasy, Adam King. Adam, how are you? Good, thanks, guys. Uh, good to be here, and and uh, be interesting actually to talk a bit about dynasty because it's something that I'm not heavily involved in, and so I've I've actually sort of listening to your podcast has, has actually sort of piqued my interest a little bit. So it might be something that I dabble in this year a little bit. We'll, we'll see if time allows me to do that. When you messaged me, you were talking about how it would be interesting to talk about the differences between Dynasty and Redraft and not only some of the player evaluations, but also just the general differences between the leagues. But before we get to that, we've got some trades. You guys were very active sending them in. We talked about at the end of our last episode how we wanted to know more about how your leagues were valuing these rookie picks coming up. And so we've got four of them. They're going to be pretty quick. First one is Shea Gilgis-Alexander for Colin Sexton and 1.4. Trav, what do you think about that one? So you sent me that one earlier this morning. And we we do need to know the context of that league before we made a decision to accept or decline that trade. And I believe this was the keeper league, correct? Not a true dynasty. Correct. This was a 16. It was a six keeper league in like 24 teams, I believe. That's right. So in a smaller keeper league like that, I know the league's pretty, pretty big size, but in a, in a keeper league where you're only keeping half your team, six guys, eight guys, whatever it may be, I always lean towards the top player. And, and for me, I don't think it's enough. If I have SGA, I don't think I'm getting enough value back in return. You know, Sexton's a guy we've talked about in the past. I don't want to harp on him too much right now. He's just a guy that's going to be have a hard time finding his way to be a top 80 player as he progresses in his career. 1.4 is very nice. But for a player like SGA, I mean, that's what you're hoping 1.4 can, can turn into if you're lucky. So I would hang on to SGA, especially in a, a just a six-keeper league. Yeah, absolutely. I would not want Sexton and 1.4, even at the top of what we assume Jalen Suggs goes at four, even at the top of what he can be, I don't think he's going to be the top 20, 25 dynasty asset that SGA is right now. And you combine that with what Sexton is as what we feel like we know he contributes to points and percentages. And that's pretty much it right now. He had above average assists, but yeah, I, I would definitely take the SGA side, especially with the keeper side of things. All right. Next one is Fultz for 1.9 in this year's rookie draft. Adam, do you have any thoughts on that? Fultz, Fultz is tough. I mean, we, we've seen flashes from him, and I, I think he's in a good spot now. But that injury meant that uh, Cole Anthony was able to show what he can do. And so, um, and, and this, I mean, I'm not across the draft this year as much as you guys are, obviously. Um, but I do know it's a deep draft. Having not played Dynasty, I'd probably take a risk and maybe maybe take the ninth pick. I'm not sure Fultz gets it sort of to be a top 100, top 80 player. 
long term. I'm not. I'm not sure. I see him there yet. So yeah, I I normally go for the the riskier side of things. So I would probably take the draft pick. And I am on the other side of that. In that, not only do I like Fultz as a player, and I think he's somebody who is malleable enough and has enough skills on and off ball and on both sides of the ball with the size that he's going to get minutes and opportunity no matter where he goes. And I think that's one of the hardest things to find in these young players that you're projecting, especially with a guy who's going to go ninth overall. I would probably take the Fultz side just because we know what it is, but I also believe that Fultz has a little bit more upside than what it seems like you do. But we're going to move on. 1.5, 1.5, so five, fifth overall, and Ja Morant for 1.1, which is Cade Cunningham. Trav? That's that's not enough for me. Cade, Cade is clearly better uh, than Ja. I think he's going to be a lot better. Ja's a guy that, that gets overrated often. And if you go back to our last podcast where we talked about valuing picks, 1.5 is a big drop compared to those yes. that top four. So uh, go ahead and take a listen to that podcast. We we broke down the picks this year and how you should be evaluating them. And this is a perfect example of that. Whereas 1.5 doesn't have that clear upside that you might want in a rookie draft. I don't think it's enough for Cade. I know we haven't seen Cade play a game, but everything that that I've seen and and just his size, his ability, where he's going to be going, what team's going to draft him, he's going to get tons of minutes. I think you have to take that that upside, that potential that Cade has versus what Ja has shown so far. I could not agree more. I wouldn't be surprised if Cade came in this year and put up a better fantasy season than what Ja has ever had, which is a pretty low bar, at least for nine cap, because Ja hasn't been inside the top 100 yet. Uh, eight cap is a little bit different, but yeah, I would just, I would take Cade. That's, that's pretty easy. So today, We're talking about dynasty versus redraft and how that changes the way you look at things. And Trav, when we talked about the idea of this, we mentioned that you can take a redraft philosophy and apply it to dynasty, but you can't really go the other way around. Yeah, you you can't really go into a a redraft and and look at dynasty rankings and and think it's going to it's going to do you any good for that year. You're going to really struggle for that season. And there's a lot of benefits to, to both. Obviously, we're in that dynasty realm. It's, it's something I, I personally do do a redraft league every year just for, for fun, just for kicks. It kind of keeps me involved with the, the day-to-day managing of, of teams uh, just because it does change the evaluation of players. But I much, much more prefer dynasty. There's a lot of reasons we could do a whole episode on, on why I think dynasty is better than redraft, but I don't want to make our guest upset. Yeah, it's easy. Back off. We're gonna <laughs> he's gonna just hop off real quick, and then we, we just have a whole show to nothing. But Adam, what's your what's your take on Dynasty from the redraft side of things? Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs, so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues 
for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the 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 only real reason I've never sort of been in Dynasty is just because I came in, a group of my friends invited me to play a league and it was a redraft league and that was just how I entered fantasy basketball and, and I sort of stuck with that and, and I guess the, the podcasts and everything I, I sort of started listening to and getting involved in were all aimed at redraft. So that was just the road I took. But then it's, as I said, it's been your podcast that's sort of made me think a little bit. And, and I am in a couple of keeper leagues, but they're only where we keep three players uh, and it's only yeah. for f- sort of four or five years and then we reset. Um, so, I mean, they're not they're not dynasty by any means. Right. Um, and so you're not planning for eight years in the future or 10 years or anything like that. So, um, but it, it was interesting looking at the rankings and comparing um, certain players and going through driving my car, driving around, listening to to you. You were on with uh, Josh a, a week ago or, or something like that, and, and listening mm-hmm. to and just thinking of players in my head before I even looked at your rankings of trying to sort of get into a dynasty mindset and thinking of which players I think would be top players in dynasty, and then having a look at your ranks. And I was close on some and, and not as close on others. So I think we'll, we'll chat about some of those players soon. First off, before we dig into a lot of the players, the first group that I want to talk about, the biggest difference between our two rankings is the old players who are just absolutely elite per game. And that's your CP3s, your Kevin Durant, your LeBron, Clay Thompson, Conley, uh, Kawhi, and all of that. So obviously, if you're in a dynasty league, and you have those players, you're probably valuing them on the redraft side of things because you're contending. And so that matters a ton. But if you're going into a startup, it's a whole different ball game because CP3, LeBron, they're 36. You know, we've got KD's Achilles looked good, but still 32. Kawhi, obviously with the ACL, it just, it drastically changes so much. So that's a group of guys that we're not going to talk about the difference in their rankings because it is so drastic. And those guys are pretty obvious. Adam, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Luca and where you had him, you had him 12th and we had him number one overall for our rankings. So was he one of the guys you had in your head as one of the top dynasty assets? He was. And from some listening to you guys and reading things, he's a consensus number one for dynasty, pretty clear cut that he would be at the top of the list there. So I guess my question in regards to him and and Giannis, I sort of bundle them together a little bit, is obviously it's the free throw issues that they both have and yep. how heavily that factors in when you're doing dynasty. Because I have him at 12th, but that's based almost entirely on the fact that he's going to hurt you in free throws. So if you're punting free throws, he, he goes way up to, to be a top three player probably. So in dynasty, is it that you guys think – He's going to improve his free throws substantially and it won't be an issue anymore? Or or do you just disregard free throws? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both there. Obviously, age is going to play a huge factor in any sort of dynasty ranking. That age slash potential is the number one factor. And Luca obviously has both. 
the free throw percentage, I understand the the setback there, but I I think he can get a little bit better. But it's just being able to build around a, such a young player who offers you just immense upside everywhere across the board. When you draft a guy like Luca at number one overall in a dynasty draft, you're pretty much set up to to do whatever you want the rest of that draft. You can take best available player. You can go into more of a punt free throw build, but you don't necessarily have to. Just the options that he gives you at his age, the usage that he has, you combine all that, and that's why he's consensus number one. And that's also partially why Giannis is so high in ours, despite having that flaw with that free throw percentage. Because, yes, if you look at 9-cat or 8-cat rankings, he's going to be further down the list. But as soon as you punt free throw percentage – like that just skyrockets his value. And so you can't deny what he is at his age and the production he's will, he's able to give you just because of one category that's typically easily punted regardless. So Giannis is one of those guys that we talked about it when we did our team building episode a while back. As soon as you take him, you know you're punting free throw percentage. So you might as well value him as if you were going to punt that already. And so that's why we have him at four Um but I also understand in a redraft that that age doesn't matter at all. And you can't afford to start reaching or missing on those, uh, those top picks. So having Luca at 12, Giannis at 13, it does make some sense. And, and yeah, I mean, that all, all makes sense to me. And, and I think I'm sort of with you. I think that Luca, I'm more, I'm a lot more confident that he can improve his free throws than I am with Giannis. Yeah. I mean, just watching him in the playoffs, it's, it's an ongoing thing. And I mean, it just looks to me like he's overthinking it and he takes, well, way he's too got long. 15 seconds to do it. So yeah. <laughs> I know. So. Yeah. Unlimited time. So he's, uh, yeah. I mean, Luca has the three point shot. Uh, he has, he has all the makings of a player who should be able to hit free throws. Whereas Giannis doesn't. So I, I would be a lot more confident with Luca there, but, I totally get the sort of the aspect of just assuming you're going to be punting. So you take him high. Exactly. And that can get you in trouble some places. And we talked about that too, is like, yes, Clint Capella is a top 20 or probably top 10 player in punt free throws and threes, but that doesn't mean you're drafting Clint Capella there. There's still that balance of value versus what he means in your build that you have to balance for sure. The next guy you wanted to talk about was Jalen Brown, who Travis and I both love Travis owns him in our 12 team dynasty. I am trying to acquire him in our 12 team dynasty. Uh, We have Jalen inside the top 25, but you had him at 36, which is actually ahead of where he finished last year in regular nine cats. So are you expecting some improvements from Jalen Brown this year? Yeah, I'm really high on Jalen Brown. I had him in in a lot of leagues last year. uh, And so yeah, I was just because I know a lot of a lot of other analysts aren't super high on him, and they sort of feel as though top forty, top fifty, top forty is sort of where he's gonna where he's gonna peak. You guys obviously think he's gonna be better than that, uh, so I was just interested to know from from both of your perspectives why why you would have him uh, as a second round player. Yeah, I think it's just his improvements that he's shown. And this is something that what I love about dynasty basketball and, and Rhett, I know you're a huge, huge fan of Jalen Brown, partly because you were such a believer of him from the get go. So you, you had him on your team. You were able to watch him grow, believe in him. 
And then eventually he became the the all-star that you thought he was going to be last year. And I think moving forward, he's a player that puts in a lot of work. He's continued to improve. And I, you see players at his age in the next couple of years start to kind of build up a little bit more of playmaking chops. And I think that's something that he has in his game, especially if they don't sign up a, a point guard that demands the ball in their hands. You're going to see a lot more playmaking from Tatum and Jalen Brown. I did believe in Jalen Brown. I had to trade him at some point to get a deal done that I still regret to this day, but we don't, we don't need to break that down. I think that Jalen Brown at 36 in a redraft is a great pick. I mean, I understand that he is young and that's partly why we value him so high, but he's somebody that I would love to have, especially because he's such a building block for that Celtics team moving forward. Even if it is just for one year, that matters a ton. He is coming off wrist surgery, but he has he has shown to be pretty durable thus far in his career. Right. The the games played matters quite a bit with your top players, and and that's why we're generally low on guys like Embiid, because that just matters so much. A guy who may not be a building block for the Celtics, though, based on their offseason acquisitions, is Time Lord, Robert Williams. I know in your rankings we talked about it before that you had your rankings done before the Horford trade. So that matters, but you're also optimistic because you have a little bit of a bias here. Yeah, I do. So, yeah, so I had him as 41 and that was before the Horford trade and uh, who else did they get? Uh, Moses Moses, Brown. Yeah. So that certainly takes away some of my confidence. (laughs) Um, But I don't know. I'm hoping that, that Horford comes in and, and doesn't have a sizable role in saying that. I think he, the Celtics are, are certainly going to play him more than, than the Thunder did last season. And and he showed, I mean, I remember to start last season, Horford was putting up top 50, top 40 numbers, even maybe. Yeah. He was inside the top 40 for a stretch. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the, he's still got the capability there. He's going to be well rested because he was, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he was out for, half the season, whatever it was. So he's had a long break. So it doesn't give me a lot of confidence, but I'm, as I said, I do have Williams in a keeper league. So I'm hoping that they still lean on him, but given they, they didn't appear to be confident to hand him starters minutes without, even without Horford or Moses Brown, they had Tristan Thompson who, we know is nothing really. Um, he, he doesn't bring a lot to the table. So I'm hoping that Williams is still the starting center, but I think we will we'll need to wait until closer to, to next season to actually know who fits where in the rotation. Yeah. So you mentioned he is at 41 and so he'll drop down a little bit. I don't know how much I'm, I'm eager to see where you put him, but he was 65th last year in nine cat in 18.7 minutes a game. So even though it is funny that Brad Stevens's first move as the GM there in Boston was to put people in the rotation to not give Robert Williams starters minutes, he was still top 70 in 18 minutes a game. And I think if that, if that's a floor, that's still pretty darn good. Travis, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. I was just looking that up thinking the exact same thing, still super productive in just 18 minutes even if he doesn't get what we thought, uh, you know, the starter load, I don't think it matters too much. I think he's still a, a really solid player, even in the backup role that he comes in, brings a lot of energy, gets you blocks, great field goal percentage, things like that. 
what I'm fearful of is the fact that they did bring in Moses Brown along with Horford. So I'm a little bit afraid of Williams basically not finding a role whatsoever with his skill set. But you never know. I think they'd be foolish not to give him at least part-time minutes just based on what he was able to do last year. Celtics fans really like him. I know a lot of Celtics fans were really pushing for him to start. So I think they'd be foolish not to give him at, at least the backup role there. And we all know Horford is older. He may be taking a few more games off this season than normal, uh, even though he is really refreshed. But uh, yeah, yeah, I still like Robert Williams. I wouldn't drop him down the board too far. Let's not overreact. There's definitely and- some downside because his role might be uncertain that I, I wouldn't want to be taking him as my fourth best player at 41, but with a 65th overall floor in nine cat, it doesn't need to drop him too far. Like you said, Trev. And look, I, I think as well, I mean, we don't know what Boston are going to do, but Horford Horford's going to come in as a mentor type player as well for, for Williams. So that may help him to stay on the floor longer in just in terms of the the foul trouble and and that sort of thing so teaching him better positioning on the defensive end but I mean who's to say they don't shift Tatum to be a point forward and move just do some shuffling there and get Horford in at power forward to play alongside Williams I mean we don't know exactly what they're going to do and and like Travis touched on earlier if they don't sign a point guard it's going to be Jalen Brown and, and Tatum doing a lot of the ball handling so Maybe they make some moves there. And I mean, Marcus Smart, we don't know what his future is at the moment. So, yeah, again, I might be clutching at straws and just hoping that mm-hmm. that Williams stays on the floor a bit longer. But I think that's a possibility that they, they do run those bigger lineups. It definitely is. And we've seen that, especially with going against teams like Philly and then the Pacers this last year, hopefully not moving forward, but there are some opportunities to play Horford at power forward and then time Lord at center. And I think Travis and I agreed when we broke down this trade is that we don't think the Celtics are done making moves either. So it's very possible that even time Lord gets moved. And so he goes somewhere else and, and gets a full role. So I think it's, it's reasonable to have time Lord as a higher up than you may think probably somebody I'm going to adjust in, in our dynasty rankings next time we go. Some guys that I want to touch on because they're in your rankings but not in ours is uh, Kelly Olenek, Boyan Bogdanovich, and TJ McConnell, guys who have some uncertainty this summer with their free agency and with their team. There's some talk of Boyan possibly being shopped around by Utah, but who knows what comes of that. But they're really good for one year, but not somebody that we want to invest in. Uh, Boyan, I can see that. I mean, I had him at at 72 there. Not crazy high. I'm not saying, yeah, exactly. No, it's not. But I mean, also seeing him outside that he's one of those players who can, we know he can be a top 50 player when his shots dropping. He does nothing else. So you're really relying on him scoring to, to put up value there. Alinic is, <laughs> Alinic was, uh, maybe I was just fanboying a bit there because of how good he was to finish the season. And, I mean, if he steps into exactly the same role in Houston, then he can put up numbers. But I'm just hoping that 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 he does land in a, a favorable position wherever that is. But I can see in a dynasty league why you wouldn't have him in t- inside the top 100. And TJ McConnell, I'm just a really big McConnell fan. So I had him in a, a lot of leagues. Again, I know you're you're probably a fan of 
of him with <laughs> yeah the um, token pacer reference you guys listeners at home can check that box off <laughs> uh yeah like i'd mention him on every podcast if i could he he was incredible but and yeah look i'm with you i mean we we don't know where he fits next season he he's proven that he can put up numbers when he's given the minutes but you wouldn't see the paces sort of viewing him as the long-term option at all so yeah i, I understand why he's outside the top 100 as well it's interesting with a couple of these guys being free agents it does make it very difficult to put them in your rankings. I, I know you put these rankings out really early. So when you personally, when I would do a ranking, I would just assume they're going back to the same team, yeah, the same role that exactly of, of what we know. So completely understand that. So that d- definitely makes a lot of sense where they're at in terms of a redraft. And Olenek a guy I, I wasn't able to pick up at the end of last year. I wish I had because he was extremely good with the Rockets. Uh, I don't know where he's going to end up. I don't think the Rockets are going to bring him back, but but you never know what, with what that team's going to do. Yeah, especially this draft, I think, is going to tell a lot about what the Rockets may do with a guy like Olenek if they end up taking Mobley second overall. Obviously, that's a pretty crowded front court with Wood and Mobley and just want to prioritize that. But, Trav, you have some young guys noted on here of – who were very high on our dynasty rankings, but not as high on the redraft rankings. Who who do you want to talk about first? Yeah. The very first guy I want to talk about, and that's because there's just a big discrepancy in the rankings. And I a hundred percent agree with it is Jaron Jackson, Jr. Uh, Jaron Jackson is a guy that we all love in dynasty, right? Just oozing with so much potential. The ability is there. We talked about him in a previous podcast as him being a one, one, one player, getting a three, a block of steel, but I would not take him if I'm in a redraft league. I don't think I would take that chance on where he he's probably going to go in most redrafts as maybe your, your fourth or fifth best player. I wouldn't even feel comfortable with that, given his injury history, his inability to stay on the court with his foul trouble and whatnot. So I completely understand the rankings discrepancy, but the, the age, the ability, what he can do when he's on the court is so hard to pass in terms of a dynasty asset. Yeah, look, I I agree a hundred percent. So I had I had him at, at sixty eight, and he he's a really hard player to project for next season because it really depends on the league that you're in. Um, he could go as high as thirty or forty in a draft, and if if the other GMs in your league uh, are sort of very on the ball and and have been watching him, then he could fall as low as 80 just because of the injuries and, and the fouls, the fouls have just been something that haven't gone away. Um, and so, but, but as you said, the, the upside is tremendous. Like we've seen what he can do and he can, he could average two threes, two blocks, a steal. Rebounding is a bit of a, I guess, it's not a strength. He's a bit Brooke Lopez in, in, in his ability to not rebound. But Valanciunas is not getting any younger either, so he tends to sort of swallow all the rebounds. So depending what they do with him, if he's eventually out of the picture, then Jackson might play a bit more center um, without Valanciunas on the floor. So I think the upside and the opportunity is there, but it's just it's hard to draft him with confidence for one season only. Could not agree more. And this past season didn't do that much to inspire that confidence. 
he was 70th overall in only 25 minutes a game, but the field goal percent was awful at 42. Still had that 1.63s, 1.5 blocks, and one steal like we talked about with the 1-1-1, but I would not take him as my fourth best player in a redraft league just because there are people who look at young players as a guarantee to improve, and that's that's factored into some ADP a little bit, especially for redraft and dynasty, but I would not take Jaron Jackson Jr. that high. But the guy I wanted to talk about is somebody, you said you listened to Josh's episode, so I think you know what's coming. That is Darius Garland. You had Darius Garland 82nd in your redraft rankings, and I want to know why you hate him so much. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's his floor um, for next season. So, And I think that's more in line with where I think you could get him in a draft, not where I think he should be. Um, okay, fair enough. Because I, I'm pretty high on him. I know Josh is really high on him. Um, and Sexton's a tricky one. Um, I mean, he, he obviously his scoring is is really strong. Doesn't do much else. Garland, I think for the Tavs, he, he's the point guard they want there. And he looked really good last year. So despite, I mean, he had a few injuries and, and little things which probably derailed some of his momentum a bit. So I think as he was picking up speed, he then got a bit of an injury and, and the Cavs weren't playing for anything. So they weren't pushing him at all. So a bit of his value comes down to, I think, how competitive the Cavs are. Look, I think if they're still at the bottom of the standings and just playing for, for draft picks, they'll be pretty, pretty careful with him. Um, but if they can be competitive and, and trying to sort of get an eighth seed or something like that, then they'll play him a bit more. So I think 80, 82nd is that's where you would expect him to finish. Uh, worst case scenario, um, I'd be I'd be okay taking him two rounds higher than that. I completely agree with both of you in, in terms of being on the Garland bandwagon here. Just the improvements that he made from his rookie season to year two, and not only that, we've we've seen the rumors with Colin Sexton being on the trade block, which again, as Adam mentioned, really shows the the trust that the Cavaliers have and Garland moving forward as their de facto point guard. So great, great, great guy to to go out and get in Dynasty and a guy I would definitely draft in a in a redraft league as well because he's done it. I like seeing guys that have done it before and have that that little bit of ability, like Rhett mentioned, young guys tend to improve a little bit. Not always, but they tend to. And I think Garland's a guy that that we can count on to even show a little bit more improvement based on the way he he went from his rookie season to his sophomore year. And Garland's one of those guys that finished the year out in a manner that kind of raised some eyebrows because he was so good. And I think that that's more in line with what he can do versus his 140th ranking overall for 9-cat. The last guy I want to talk about, everybody has their guy. And Brandon Clark is Adam King's guy, in case you didn't know about it. So you don't have him in your top 100. We have him at 113 in our dynasty rankings. How are we feeling about Brandon Clark heading into year three? Uh, My confidence is not where it was. I might have to change my (laughs) bio um, because I did. I drafted him everywhere last season. Um, and, and I don't think I was way out of line in drafting him. I think based on what we saw uh, in his rookie season, the promise was there and, and the upside. Last season, it, was, it wasn't good. I mean, you can't sugarcoat it at all. He, he didn't have a good season. 
I ended up dropping him in most leagues, I think, just because I was competitive. I, I, I couldn't have him on, on the floor because he actually fell out of the rotation. Um, yes, at, he did. Sort of down the, down the stretch there. And you can't have, as much as I like him, you can't have a player who's not playing on your team. So, uh, yeah, look, my confidence is not where it was. And I think he struggled and, and, and didn't do a lot. And that was with Jaron Jackson off the floor. Yes. So he, he'll be back. Um, Kyle Anderson, I think, was a bit of a thorn in his side. I think he he just played well and kept playing well, much to the surprise of everyone. Whether he can do that again, I don't know. But he, he's a really good glue guy and, and can sort of do multiple things on the court. So I, I think he, he'll maintain a pretty solid role. And I just don't know where Clark fits. I, I still see the potential there, but... I would need to see him sort of up up at 26, 28 minutes a night on a regular basis before I would go in with the confidence that I had last year. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Where can everybody find you on Twitter or, or wherever? And what else do you have that you're working on that's coming out soon? Yeah, so Twitter is just at AdamKing91. And at the moment, I mean, it's pretty quiet at the moment, obviously, with not much basketball going on. So... We're getting out the team, the team wraps. So I think we're probably almost done there. I'm on my last one now, which should be, which is the Nuggets. That'll be up in the next couple of days, I think. And then, I mean, then we move into um, the draft and free agency and and all that sort of stuff. So I think we've got some podcasts in the works for those. Um, and then we move into draft prep. So it will ramp up pretty quickly. And and I know that we've got a few. Uh, new ideas in, in the pipeline for next season, um, things happening in the background. So we'll hopefully we can get some of those ready to launch by the time um, we hit draft season. Check out all of the stuff going on over at hoop-ball.com. Like you said, the team recaps, they are almost done. I think you and I are the last two that have to turn them in. <laughs> so that's uh, that we're doing this instead of doing that. But we are having a mailbag episode, first ever punt intended mailbag episode. You guys have sent so many trades in that are worth talking about more than the couple minutes they get at the beginning. So if you want to be involved in that, please continue sending all of that in. We just did our unique stat sets podcast, had a great time with that, talking about guys who have a combination of categories that are just harder to find and some young guys who may eventually hit that. We've got Just Right, the article and podcast out there as well. Be sure to check that out. Let me know what you think. And uh, always find me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. Find Travis at Travis underscore Fuller 92. Thank you for checking in. We'll talk to you guys next time. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.